into our Bible study tonight. Did you get the outlines? Okay, if you want to pass those to Brother George, if you'd like one. First Timothy chapter 1. This is our fifth lesson here. And of course, we're moving quite a bit faster through the book of First Timothy than we are the Sermon on the Mount on uh, Thursday nights. But uh, we are just looking to get some things here out of this book as Timothy is instructing his sons in the ministry, both Titus and Timothy, as we are going through this, these first two books were written to Timothy. And we're just working through here. Let's just start in verse 11 of chapter 1, and we'll read down through verse 16. It says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, Paul is coming through and he is spending the first chapter of this book, kind of a charge to Timothy. He has warned him. He said, now listen, this is why I left you in Ephesus as I went to Macedonia, because I wanted you to shut down the teachers of false doctrine. And of course, there's uh, always and always has been Teachers of False Doctrine. I, last uh, semester was my first class in, in the seminary there in Connecticut, and we studied church history. And, and I'll tell you, it opened my eyes. All of the doctrines, all of the fake doctrines that we know about today were already in existence before this book called the Bible was even complete. Um, I always thought... Well, all this stuff came about with Constantine when he took over and popularized Christianity. But no, it was, it was already there. False doctrine needs nothing to get it started. I mean, it's just been around. And he told Timothy, I want you to make sure that they teach no other doctrine. And... We have so much, it tells us here, vain jangling. I mean, boy, just turn on TVN, uh, the Vain Jangling Network. That's Trinity Broadcasting, if you don't know uh, what that stands for. And we look at all of these, and Paul was saying, listen, the law is for the ungodly. The law is to show people what is sin. 
And he says we need to use the law lawfully. We need to use the law to convict people of their sin. And he said, listen, I'm summing this thing up. If The last part of verse 10, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, hear sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now, what Paul's talking about here is he had a specific office. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. As I look out over our group tonight, uh, I don't see any of our believers of Jewish heritage. We're all Gentiles. If we want to trace our Christianity back, we're going to find the apostle Paul back there somewhere. And that is where we got the gospel, and that's what he means By the gospel being committed to his trust, he was the one that Jesus Christ had ordained to take the gospel message to the non-Jewish world. And I'll tell you, it is a glorious gospel. Amen? And Paul is going to illustrate that from his own life here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath, number one, enabled me. He said, He has given me the ability. He has enabled me. Now, one of the things, if you get saved and you start reading the Bible and understanding the things that are in the Bible, the first thing that's going to come into your heart and mind or should come into your heart and mind is, I can't do that. There's no way I can walk the narrow way. There's no way I can keep myself where I need to be If you think that you can live the Christian life on your own, you're in big trouble. That is a false gospel. Paul said, I was enabled by Jesus Christ. God will never give you something to do that He will not give you the ability to do that. God will always provide if we're obedient to His Word. Here's what happens, though. We get into a tight spot and we say, I know the Lord will provide for my finances, so here we go, Visa, MasterCard, and God will pay the bills. No, it doesn't always work that way. Be careful. Let's not figure out how God's supposed to provide for us. I want you to just look at one picture. God didn't divide the Red Sea until Pharaoh's army was here and the Red Sea was here and Israel was in between. Amen? And by the way, he made the Egyptian army wait there behind that pillar of darkness all night while the children of Israel walked through. Someone sent me an interesting slide display uh, of the Red Sea crossing and they put it at a little different location than we traditionally do in the Bible. And uh, I have to, we'll have to get that out and show it sometime. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. They show a diver there with pictures of chariot wheels and everything on the bed of the Red Sea. Uh, Of course, gold does not deteriorate even underwater, but all the wood and everything that it was around has. They can't move anything. In fact, the 
I'm trying to remember whether it's the Egyptian or the Saudi Arabian government has made sure that nobody can do anything there today uh, because if they can prove that that was the actual Dead Sea crossing, that, that's a pretty big blow to Islam. And so, uh, but there's, it's, it's interesting. I'll get it out. I don't claim uh, total veracity for it. I, don't, I just don't know enough to know, but boy, it sure looks good. And, um, but God didn't divide the Red Sea until it was time. God does not provide until He's ready for you to do something. We like to get everything we need and put it all in nice little orders and say, now I'm ready to work. God says, no, let's not do it that way. Because that's not by faith, that's by sight. Paul said, he enabled me. Now, this is something else Paul was saying, something that we need to get into our mind and into our heart. There's no preacher that has ever lived that had more Bible training than the Apostle Paul did before he began his ministry. But when Paul is saying that he enabled me, he's saying all that training and all that study and all those things that I did before don't count. The only reason I'm able to be a preacher and do the things that I do for the Lord Jesus Christ, and of course he was also an apostle, he said, it's because God has given me the ability. And we've often asked this question, and it's one that we need to ask ourselves and remind ourselves, what did you accomplish last week that if God had not done it through you, it would not have been done? I dare say that's a pretty short list for most of us. Because so much of our life we have ordered, we go to work, we do this, we do that, we do this, we do that. And then when we have a break, oh yeah, let's think about God and let me catch up on my Bible reading and let me do this. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live a Holy Spirit-enabled life. This is what Paul's talking about here. And he says, listen, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful. Now, you read that next phrase, and if you're not careful, you're going to easily arrive at false doctrine. God counted me faithful, therefore... He said, God knew I had the ability to get this thing done. He counted me faith. That's not what it's saying. God counted Paul faithful because Paul was enabled. That's why it's in the order that it's there. It was God's enabling that gave Paul the ability to be faithful. Jesus Christ counts us faithful for His service, because He gives us His Holy Spirit to live in us. That's what it means. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. You don't endure to the end to gain salvation. You endure to the end because you're already saved. Could we get one amen on that? Okay, there we go. just want to make sure I was in the right church. Um, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want to thank God because He's given me the ability to be a servant. He enabled me. He counted me faithful. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows that I can finish my course. Now, Paul had a lot of life to live when he wrote here in Timothy. 
But he's saying, listen, God knows that I'm going to be faithful, that I'm going to finish my course. I'm not going to make shipwreck. I'm not going to turn to vain jangling. I'm going to be faithful because Jesus Christ has enabled me. He counted me faithful. And Jesus put me into the ministry. Now, I'll tell you, there is a day, this is a day, that we need some God-called preachers. There's a lot of people, and, and I don't believe, I've heard people say about the call to the ministry and, and, and different things. Boy, if, if you don't see lightning flashes and you don't uh, hear voices thundering from heaven, God might not have called you to the ministry. Uh, the Bible says, He that desireth the office of a bishop desireth a good thing. Only a crazy man, and I mean that in every sense of the word, needing medication and padded cells and all of this, only a crazy person would desire the office of ministry without the Holy Spirit pushing him in that direction. Someone, I remember different people, we've talked about this with, I've talked about this with many people over the years, well, Pastor, I, I just think that maybe I could be a preacher someday. That's not from the devil. Do you think the devil wants you to be a preacher? No. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to be a preacher. He will enable you. He will count you faithful. And He'll put you in the ministry if you'll only let Him do it. I don't believe that God is calling less people to the ministry today than He ever has, but I do believe there's an awful lot less who are willing to answer the call today than ever before. And this is the thing. We're not allowing God to put us into the ministry. When I graduated Bible college, I was ready to be in the ministry. I had a job for brother, with Brother Clayton. I changed the oil in the cars and in the trucks, and I kept them going, and, and uh, I found out that I was doing an awful lot of things they never told me about in Bible college. But you know what? If you don't keep the trucks running, you don't get to the next church. And if you don't get to the next church, you don't have the meeting. And if you don't have the meeting, people don't get saved, and the church doesn't get strengthened. So changing the oil in the trucks is pretty important stuff. See, when God puts you in the ministry, He makes you wait sometimes. I, I'm still amazed that people put up with my preaching when I started out as a preacher. And the first few years, Ken and Rose might even remember some of this. They, she'd come up and say, Pastor, and I'd turn around to see who she was talking to because it, it just wasn't, I, I was really nervous about this stuff. But God will put you into the ministry. He will enable you, and He will count you faithful, not because of all your great abilities and all the wonderful things that you are as a human being, but because of how wonderful He is and how powerful the Holy Spirit of God is. This is what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. He said, listen, this is the glorious gospel that God would take somebody like me and put me into the ministry. And he goes on to give us his personal testimony. He said, who was before a blasphemer? Now, blasphemy 
is a word that, unless we're talking about the Bible, you don't hear it very often. But it's still an English word. It simply means the highest and the deepest verbal insults that you can level at a human being. You want a modern-day uh, 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 example of blasphemy? Our former president, George W. Bush. They just wanted to call him W. They wanted to change his name. They wanted to, And they still, they just called him Bush is what they did. There was nothing that was too bad to say about our former president. He was blasphemed in every news broadcast on a daily... I don't know how he put up with it. But that's blasphemy. Now, let me tell you something. When you blaspheme God... Oh, and by the way, don't you dare blaspheme the current president. You will get in trouble. He's sensitive about those ears. Uh... And other things. It's hilarious to me. Everything that President Bush puts up, and he makes a news conference item, I'm sensitive about those ears. Good night. That's not blasphemy, my friend. <laughs> and he's upset about it. Be careful. Be very, very careful. But Paul said, I was a blasphemer. There was nothing too bad for me to say about Jesus Christ. I remember one of the first conversations I had with uh, Zach and, and, and uh, Slava. Uh, they said, boy, said, I don't know if you saw us, but you said you were having a baptism. We just about jumped out of our skin. We had no idea what you were going to do. He said, because in Russia, they told us that baptism was, and they started into this thing, and I can't repeat it to you, but I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Now, that's blasphemy. He said, the Baptists were the worst people. Well, you know why they were the worst people? It's because there were no Baptist communist collaborators. But every priest in the Russian Orthodox Church was a card-carrying communist. They joined the party because if they didn't, they weren't a part of the... I told somebody that one time who was Orthodox, and they got mad. Oh, that's not true. I said, you go look, up it, look it up. Ask people. It is true. There's no question about it. But Paul said, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor. And Paul persecuted the church. You read his testimony. He hailed both men and women. Paul believed in door-to-door -door visitation. He'd knock on the door and he'd say, Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they said, We don't believe that so-and-so around here, he'd say, You're my friend. And shake hands and say, I'm just looking for those dirty, rotten Christians. And if you know any, you let me know. They'd say, There's some next door. And he'd greet them in the name of Jesus Christ. And when they answered him back, he'd drag them to prison. He was also injurious here. 
I was reading one commentary that said, that means bully. It means that he hurt people. He was one of those guys that if you talked to him, he could twist your words up and make you say things that you never intended to say. This was the life of the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He was injurious. Now, read this next phrase very carefully. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He said, I obtained mercy from God because I was ignorant. I did not know the truth. And I've often used this example. There's a difference between ignorance and stupid. Ignorance can be fixed. Ignorance is simply the lack of knowledge. There are many, many things. I mean, that has become a, a, almost a dirty word today to say that you're ignorant. You Oh, you're, 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 you know, you're uh, defaming my character. But I'll tell you what, there's not a one of us here that is knowledgeable about how nuclear power plants run. We're ignorant. And I'm glad. I'm not going up there. I don't want to run that thing. I want to use the electricity, and I don't want them to close it down, but I'm not, not into learning on anything else. I mean, there are lots of things we're ignorant about. But when you purposefully ignore facts, there's very little help for you. You see, Paul did what he did because he thought he was serving the God of the Bible. That's why Paul was able to change when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I used to think that it was my duty to argue with every Jehovah's Witness that God ever put in my pathway. I found out that's not God's plan for my life. Because to believe, and, and I'm not saying God won't save people who are part of these cults and all of these things, but that's not what Paul was. You see, Paul was searching for the truth, and I've heard the story of many people. And they said, I knew there was something more, and so I went here, and I went here, and I went here, and I, and I finally found the truth. That was the Apostle Paul. But when someone doesn't want the truth, God's not going to give it to them. And we got to watch this and be careful. God does not bless ignorance. You have no excuse to be ignorant. You ought to know how to read. You ought to know how to write. You ought to know how to figure. You ought to know how to think. And I'll tell you what, if you can learn to read this book called the Bible, you have a higher reading level than 90% of the people who graduate college these days. Because they couldn't read these words. They couldn't understand them. 
we we have no reason to purposely ignore the truth. Paul was not purposefully ignoring the truth. He had the Old Testament. He thought the Christians were against the Old Testament because of the misunderstanding of his teachers. God gave him deliverance from the false teaching that he had every moment since he was a child. He was raised a Pharisee. The enemies of Jesus were Paul's teachers. The ones that had connived and crucified Jesus Christ and were saying, His blood be upon us and upon our children. Those were the men that instructed the Apostle Paul. And every one of them held a scroll of the Bible and read the Bible and proved that what they were doing was from the Bible. And Paul believed them. His name was Saul at that time. This is what it means when he says, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Because when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, how many of you remember what he said? Question number one, who art thou, Lord? Question number two, what wilt thou have me do? He surrendered to Jesus Christ and his authority as soon as he understood who Jesus Christ is. When someone has wrapped themselves in false doctrine and refuses to listen, don't argue with them. Don't, don't take your time. If they'll listen to the verses of the Bible, give them the Bible. Don't give them anything else. Just give them the Bible. If the Bible won't do it, nothing you say is going to. Paul was doing it ignorantly in an unbelief. No one will come to Jesus if they're in love with their false doctrine. If they believe that what they have is absolute truth and they refuse and reject the truth, you cannot lead them to the Lord. Remember the marshals had a friend one time and they were in a park somewhere and there was a statue and he thought this would be cool. He got his Bible out and was witnessing to the statue. And uh, that's a mentality that just doesn't belong in Bible-believing Christianity. Just because somebody says the words does not make them say. You could manipulate anybody into saying words. But, Paul says, listen, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundant with, look, what it, what's the first thing in that list? Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith. Faith is the first thing in the list. Faith cometh by hearing hearing by the Word of God. He said he was exceeding abundant with faith and love. you got to have both. You can't have God and not have love. Amen? But if you don't have the Word of God, faith, you don't have God. 
That's the problem with the new Christianity that's out there today. It's all love, no God. Which tells us it's not love. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that, Jesus, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, I've heard for years that, well, Paul is just using hyperbole here. He, he's using a gross exaggeration. There's no way that Paul could be the chief of sinners. But I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 24. Revelation chapter 2. Now, Jesus is addressing his churches here. He's talking to the church at Thyatira, a church that allowed Jezebel to teach Sunday school. That's what it says. She was actually teaching in the church. And verse 24, But I say unto you and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. Now, that's the phrase I want you to get a hold of. He's saying, listen, allowing the devil to teach in the church is the depths of Satan. The greatest sin that you can have is not in the nightclubs, it's not in the bars, it's not in the... Uh, all of the dark and perverse corners of human depravity. The depths of Satan is in a nice shiny building that's built to make you feel like you've been to church. Now, we, we want to dress this place up and make it look nice. And praise the Lord, we need to get rid of those walls and spread out just a little bit. Those are good things. But we're not here to build a place that makes you, when you walk in, oh, God must be here. Because that's not where God is. What we want people to do when they walk through there is we want them to be unencumbered and undistracted so that they could actually be touched with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what this morning's message is all about, and we'll be covering this in further weeks, is until we allow the Holy Spirit of God to really work in our lives, He won't be able to work in others when they visit our church. We've got to bring with us a working relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, and as we gather together, that presence is going to overpower. There have been services, especially in the early days of our church, where somebody would invite five or six or seven or eight unsaved people to church, and I'll tell you what, you, couldn't, you just couldn't get a spark going in that service to save your life. It was because the spirit that they were bringing in was quenching the spirit that was here. Now, that stuff happens. And we really need to pray and ask God and beg Him that when people come in, they will not change what's going on here. But what's going on here will overpower them. And we've had people over the years that have given the testimony. I come in your church, it feels different. 
I don't like it. Well, that's because you're not saved. Amen? Uh, you don't want the right things. But Paul was not expressing hyperbole here. He was not going to some extreme. The depths of Satan are the teaching of false doctrine. Now, what did Paul do? He persecuted people for believing the truth. How can you get more evil than that? How can you get more evil than taking someone who believes the truth and leading them down a pre-planned set of reasoning like these filthy lawyers, I mean liars that we, uh, lawyers that we have today that twist your words and change everything you say to make you say things that you never intended to say. This is what the Apostle Paul did to people. How can you get more evil than taking the pure, simple faith of a believer in Jesus Christ and twisting it up and twisting their mind until they were confused as to what they even believed? That is evil, my friend. Paul was not kidding when he said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. God had given Paul abilities as a human being that other people just didn't have. I mean, he, was, he had a mind. He was able to memorize and think of the Scriptures and, uh, to the point that after he was saved in preaching, the Roman governor said, Much learning doth make thee mad. He could not, the governor could not say, Paul, you're ignorant. Paul, you don't know what you're talking. He couldn't say that. He said, Paul, you got too much learning. No. He said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. Or Felix, I can't remember which name goes in there, but it's one of those guys that start with an F. He said, I could, I'm not, but I'm putting forth the words of truth and soberness. And then King Agrippa, one of the most wicked men that ever lived, looks and says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Some of the saddest words in all the Scripture. But Paul was saying, listen, I did this ignorantly in unbelief. What I did, I was searching for the true God in doing what I was doing. That's why God gave me mercy. I was the victim of false teaching. Once I found the truth, I obtained mercy. Amen. He said, I am here to show the abundance of God's grace. But that abundance comes with faith and love. Amen. Word of God always first. You can't have anything without the Word. He said, Jesus Christ came to save me, save sinners, of whom I am chief. The greatest sins are in the church, not in a bar. The greatest sins are when people teach false doctrine and put Jesus' name on it. He says in verse 16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them 
which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now, when Paul uses the word first, he's not talking about he was the first Christian. Because there were many people saved before the apostle Paul was saved. What he's saying is, I'm the chief of sinners. And God is using my life as the first sinner, meaning the number one sinner in the church of God, as an example. Now, I've heard preachers preach, you know, man, I was this and I was that and I was a left-handed pickpocket and I... Uh, I, I sold drugs before I was... And, and they list all these horrid things that they'd done. And then they say, Jesus saved me. And now I'm a preacher. I always get nervous with those kind of testimonies. Listen. Paul said, you want to know where the real evil is? It's not in the drug dealers. It's not in all those things we think about said the real evil is in believing wrong about this book called the Bible. That's the greatest evil. And I was a victim of that evil, and God still saved me. God was patient with me while I put people who believed in Him in jail and thought I was doing God a service. He said, God waited patiently for me. He said, I'm an example said, but that example is that once you're saved, you serve Jesus Christ with everything you have. That was the example of the Apostle Paul. Amen. He was not a part-time Christian. Everything the Apostle Paul was about was about serving God. Yes, the Apostle Paul had to work a regular job, and in those days, you did not work eight hours with your coffee break at ten, and coffee break at three, and your in-between break breaks, and uh, all of those things that uh, uh, that we have today. You work from sun up till sundown, six days a week. And Paul preached and witnessed all night. And by the way, if you worked all day, you got enough money to buy food for that night. It, it wasn't what we have today. You didn't have bank accounts and all of those things. Only the rich had those things. The poor had what they needed to eat. Paul gave up all that stuff. The Pharisees were not poor people. Most religionists are not poor people. In fact, uh, what was his name? L. Ron Hubbard, I think, the founder of um, one of these things. He said, hey, if you want to be a millionaire, start your own religion. And uh, Brother George, could you help right there? Um, and so, and he did. And he became quite the millionaire. But that doesn't mean he had anything that had to do with the truth. Paul says... How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first, the greatest of all sinners, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them. Here's the pattern. You are living your life, your way, against the Word of God. You meet Jesus, you get saved, and you serve God with every bit of the fervor that you served the devil before. Amen. 
That's the example the Apostle Paul gives us and wants us to go forward in. And by the way, we need to understand something that we've been talking about, and this all just comes together at the same time. If we don't understand our own personal sin as being great, God will never be able to use us. We, we all have this tendency. Well, I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, or at least I don't do that. That's not in true Bible Christianity. My sin offends the holy God. That makes it pretty, and doesn't make it pretty bad. It makes it evil. It makes it as bad as it can get. Now, don't go to the other extreme. And I've heard people talk about this. Well, Paul was the chief, a sinner man. I'm the double chief. I did everything that he did ten times. Uh, no. That's blasphemy. That's pride about being sinful. Come on. There's no glory in the depths of depravity you can roll your soul in. Somebody said that I can't even remember his name, Son of Sam or something, got saved, and now he's got a television show where he tells people how to get saved. Some preacher lady married him while he was in prison, and now they have a... Uh, it just gets more and more bizarre. Let me tell you something. I hope he really did get saved. But I would think that if the Holy Spirit of God were really living in his soul... He would talk about Jesus and keep his mouth shut about himself. Uh, I just, I just, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to judge, but listen, you don't glorify your wicked past with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What you do is you glorify the gospel of Jesus Christ by serving Him here and now. That is the example. That's the pattern of the Apostle Paul. And so as he is taking Timothy here in this opening chapter of this book, he's saying, Timothy, you've got a lot in store here. You've got a great responsibility. You've got to use the law lawfully. You've got to understand... That salvation, God can save anybody. He saved me, the Apostle Paul. But if you're going to get saved, you better get serving. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for these words that you've given to us from the Apostle Paul. Lord, we're thankful that we can hold in our hands a copy in our language of what was written so many years ago, under the influence of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle himself. Lord, we ask you to teach us these words. We ask you to convict us of our personal sin, that we may be your personal servants. We ask that our lives would glorify thee. And Lord, that we would struggle to make sure that nothing else 
is lifted up or glorified by the way we live other than the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask you to be with us during this prayer time. In your name we pray.